that's the whole reason we're there is to, um, you know, be that intermediary between home and the hospital. Um, I'm a doctor and when my kid's sick, I freak out. So I expect nothing less from regular parents. Like (laughs) your kid's sick, you're going to be worried. Um, and our job is to, you know, make sure your child's okay. And once again, send you back home with your, you know, previously healthy, normal child. Um, and, and let you be able to close your eyes at night and not be terrified. Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, brought to you by two board-certified pediatricians, Dr. Anna Powell and Dr. Samira Arman, also known as the PD Pals, as we talk to you about topics involving raising well and happy children in today's challenging society. Please follow us on social media at the PD Pals or find us online at www.thepdpals.com. Welcome to another episode of The Well Child. As a parent, it's hard to think straight when it comes to your children. We get it. I mean, I'm even a pediatrician myself, and I cannot logically think when my kids are sick. Both Anna and I, we see concerned parents every day ask about whether or not to treat their sick children at home, or if they have to go to the ER or to urgent care. And honestly, it can be a really difficult decision to make or a difficult uh, thing to navigate as a parent, which is why we wanted to dedicate an entire podcast episode on this topic so that you as parents can have a few take-home messages and know what to look for and how to decide if your child needs immediate medical attention. We've been wanting to do a segment on urgent care and medical emergencies in kids for a while now, and we were super lucky to find the perfect guest for this episode. So today we have Dr. Christy Bybee. She's a pediatric ER physician. She is a mom herself and a dear, dear friend of ours. Also, she's very cool from residency. And she's here to just talk about that. So Dr. Bybee is a true Texan. She went to college, med school, and did her pediatric residency all in Texas, where she was chief resident. She then worked as a pediatric hospitalist for some time in central Texas and even became the head of the department before moving to Oklahoma to further specialize in pediatric ER. She then moved back to Texas, which we're super glad about, and started to lend us her incredible expertise as a pediatric ER physician. She has been a professor of pediatrics and trained many new generations of doctors and medical students, and she has so many teaching awards under her belt. And did I mention, she is cool. In her free time, she also spends time volunteering in her community to make clothing items for babies that are born too soon to survive or who die shortly after birth. She's also an angel and also a very cool angel. Dr. Bybee is a mom and she can confirm that being a doctor does not help bring any rationality when it comes to your own kiddos. And we remember her from residency and have so many fond memories with her. My favorite always is this one particular night. I feel like all of my stories have to do with the hellacious call night where we were running around because we were overbooked and there were too many patients everywhere. And we were trying to save everyone's lives and we ran so much that she had an asthma attack in the stairwell, <laughs> but she handled it like a champ and kept treating patients all night. So welcome, Dr. Bivey. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for coming on. Like, I, if there's anyone that can vouch for how cool and calm and collected she is, it's me because I was an intern when she was my attending. And on the nights that, which, you know, you're kind of left to the 
the bare minimum staff at night, if you guys remember. And so as an intern, I remember just internally panicking and we would always, you know, go see Dr. Bybee and just a sigh of relief. So she always made patients feel so at ease. And I'm sure she does this in the ER, but um, I know as an intern, I was instantly at ease when I saw you. So thank you so much for coming on. And I know that you're going to be a wealth of information and calm a lot of parents for us. So thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super happy to see y'all's faces. We've been a long time. It has too long, sadly. Yeah. So um, before we get into the nitty gritty of stuff, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Something maybe we didn't talk about so far? So I'm a mom to three little kids. They're seven, five, and two. They're crazy. (laughs) Um, And I sent them away tonight for this so that I could you know, be in peace. Um, <laughs> not really, they're at, they're at sports practice. They'll be back later. Um, my husband stays home with them and keeps us all alive. And if I didn't have him, I'm not sure what we would be doing. So he's the, he's definitely the rock in the family. So I love it. That's wonderful. I'm sure that the pandemic has been crazy for us and I'm sure it's been you know, equal, uh, equally crazy for you. But uh, just curious, being an ER physician on the front lines, how has that been for you? What's your experience been for for the pandemic this last year? Has it been crazy? It's been interesting. Um, you never go to medical school thinking you're going to survive a pandemic. So, um, or that you're going to have to figure out how to be a doctor during a pandemic, because it's definitely different than, you know, all the things we've ever trained to do. Um, but Luckily, kids haven't been that sick, and so we haven't seen a whole lot of children with COVID, um, but we've seen lots of fear of COVID, and so there's been a lot of just, you know, reassuring parents that their babies or their kids are okay, Um, and by babies, I mean, like, you know, your child forever, Um, (laughs) because they're always your babies, so just reassuring moms and dads that their children are okay and that they're, you know, they're going to be all right, because kids they, they really have done really well. Um, we haven't had a whole lot of critically ill children and that's been so different than what we normally see with, you know, respiratory viruses. So it's kind of been nice. So as a mom and a doctor, just curious, do you, how do you handle it when your kids get sick? Do you feel like, okay, I got this, I know what to do, or do you still need that objective party to kind of confirm things or walk you, you know, walk you through things? Oh no, we still go to their pediatrician. I, I don't want to be their doctor. I'm their mom. And, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, when they get hurt or something, maybe I'm a little more comfortable than somebody that's not in the medical field, but, um, when they're sick or they're hurt or, you know, my little one doesn't grow and we have to see specialists, we, we go to the doctor because it's not my job to be their doctor. And I want their pediatrician to tell me, you know, everything's okay. And this is what we're going to do. And, um, so they still go to the doctor, just like all the other kids. Yeah. That's what I figured. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think I have no rational thinking skills with my own kids. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can. I mean, when it comes to your family and your kids, like you just literally have to put the stethoscope aside, you know? And I think that has to be 
Because a lot of parents, they, you know, assume that it would be easier for us as pediatricians and as physicians. But I think sometimes when you know a lot, you panic a lot more too. And and so it's a natural feeling. And so whenever we see our patients, we're, you know, especially when it comes to your kids, whether you're a physician or not, it's like, if your mommy gut is telling you that you are worried right now, you're never going to be wrong to go seek help immediately, you know, even, even if it is just reassurance and you're okay. If you feel like, you know, they're not safe. um, I think we do that a lot of times navigating and reassuring, and it's always just better to better to know, let someone else tell you, right? Yeah. And that's what I tell parents every day. Don't, you know, don't apologize for coming in. Don't, um, you were worried about your child and you needed somebody you know, not as attached to tell you that your kid's okay and to help you think rationally. And that's not, that's not it. I mean, it's perfectly fine. That's we, we love being able to be able to reassure families. I agree. I I love that too. It's so, so invaluable. And I'll even go so far to say that if you do seek, you know, care for your child and then you have a doctor lay eyes on them, even do a couple of tests or not, and then give you some reassurance and you feel good about everything, then great. If you go home and you still feel like something's not quite right or you weren't heard, it's okay to go back. There, We do rely on that communication. And I think a lot of times people hesitate to go back because they feel like they weren't heard that first time and that they're, they might get blown off the second time. Or, you know, even I'm sure it happens with the ER because we see it here too. Like a kid will be sick. They go to the ER, they get observed for a couple hours, go home, and then they get sick again. And yeah. then they're like, well, I, I sent home the first time, but guess what? The second time you go back, we'll take it even more seriously. You know, um, not that we didn't take it seriously the first time, but now you just threw a whole monkey wrench into the situation. So we didn't expect them not to get better. And now they're back. So I, I would go so far as to say, don't give up. You are your child's biggest advocate. Right. I tell parents always listen to their gut. Um, if you think something's wrong with your kid, then, you know, you need to let us know. And then also, um, we give you comeback reasons for a reason. Like yeah. if I tell you that your kid's okay now, but you should come back because they won't stop throwing up or they're having trouble breathing. Then when those things happen, don't apologize for coming back. That's why I told you it, yeah. it's okay to come back because your kid might get worse and they might need to come back. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's also hard because we're on the medical side. So we see something, everything going in the ER, right? And so if the ER doctor tells you, hey, your your child is okay, they don't have to be in the hospital at this moment, but they might still need continued care. So a lot of times if they're not sick enough to be in the ER setting or stay there or be hospitalized, that's a good sign. That's reassuring that they don't need that advanced level of care, but they could still need follow-up care with their pediatrician. And that's where me and Sammy come in where it, you know, they're, they're okay. They're not in an urgent uh, state, you know, but they might still need more workup done. And so I, I, I think you should never, never feel bad about going back to your pediatrician or the ER or vice versa, you know? And I always encourage parents if they've been in the ER to follow up with their pediatrician in a couple of days, because, um, yeah, kids, they need to be looked at again. You need to make sure that they're getting better or, um, that, 
you know, there's no new concerns from the parents and who better than their doctor that knows them the best to do that. So we always try to encourage them to, you know, yeah, you came here because your kid was really sick in the middle of the night, but now, you know, in a day or two, you need to go see your regular doctor so that they can, you know, just check and make sure everything's still good. Yeah. I want the take home message of this particular episode to be for parents to have some idea. I feel that it's hard to give them the full idea because there's exceptions everywhere, but some idea of when it's appropriate to take their child to the emergency room and when it it could wait. So do you have any, like, these are the top five reasons to come to the emergency room type of thing? Um, yeah, I think that parents, um, freak out about a few things and it's kind of a recurring theme that we see. And so reassuring parents that these things are okay, actually, I think would help, um, such as fever. Parents always are scared of fevers. Um, their baby has a fever or their child has a fever or the school nurse called and said their child has a fever. And now they don't know what to do because it's four o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, you know, my kid's sick and the doctor's closed and I don't know what to do. Um, and so I try to tell parents that it's not, you know, it's not that your kid has a fever. That's the problem. Fevers are good. They help us fight infections and means that our bodies are working, but it's how's your child acting when they have a fever. So we want you to come to the ER. If your kid is hard to wake up or they, um, you know, are not making sense when they talk or they're refusing to take any liquids. And, um, or when you look at them, you're just like, something's not right. Um, that's when we say, okay, that's a problem. Um, I have three kids. My oldest will have 105 fever and run sprints around my living room. And my middle one will have 101 fever and lay on the couch and moan. So, you know, it all depends on, on the child. And if they're, um, is acting. your little one, a man by any time? Just kidding. The middle one is a man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> little man. <laughs> Definitely the, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so he, uh, we won't generalize, but but, so it's, it's all about how your kid's acting when they have a fever. It's not that they have a fever. Um, and it's okay to have fevers, but it's also okay to not be miserable when you have a fever. So call your, call your pediatrician or, you know, the doctor that you normally see and talk to their nurse about how much medicine they can have, because that's the other thing we frequently see is they, people are scared to give their child medicine. They don't want to give them too much. And so then they don't give them enough and then their fevers don't come down and the child's still miserable. Um, and so you can always call after hours and talk to somebody and they'll give you, um, an idea of how much medicine the kids should have so that they can not be so sad. Um, cause febrile children or kids with fevers are very sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to add to that too, because This was actually a trick I learned as a parent, not as a pediatrician. But when you were talking about the child's demeanor when they're sick, um, a lot of the times their demeanor is very scary when they have a fever. For example, they'll be breathing really fast or they'll act quote unquote lethargic. And, And I would encourage families not to panic and not to rush to the ER right there and then, but actually to give them a fever reducer. So Tylenol or Motrin, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, depending on their age and wait like the 20 to 40 minutes for it to kick in. And if by then the the fevers come down and suddenly they perk up and they're not breathing fast anymore and they're acting normally, then it was just the fever that made them like that. But if you give them the medicine, the fever comes down and they're still acting that way, that's cause for concern. 
Exactly. And that's what we tell people every day. Yeah. Uh, because it, it's hard. Your, ba- your baby is laying on the couch and they're crying or they're just laying there and they have that glassy look in their eyes and they're breathing hard and you put your hand on their chest and their heart's just pounding. And it's terrifying because you're like, something is wrong with my child. Um, but it's amazing what a little bit of ibuprofen or Tylenol will do. Um, in 30 minutes, your kid's up, you know, jumping off the couch again. So, um, yeah. Or we'll maybe. see that in the office, you know, they're like, we're prompt. We promised he was sick. Like last yeah. night he was miserable and now he's jumping off the exam tables, you know? And we're like, trust me, we believe you yes. because the three of us worked in the hospital and just being in the hospital, we would kids go see them go from zero to hundred in two minutes. So they look great one minute and then they're, you know, down and down and out. So I think you guys hit all the points and, and I just like to add like for the trouble, the fast breathing, when you have a fever, your body is working on overload, right? Your metabolism is working higher. So you breathe faster and it's trying to fight off that infection. So it's all good. Like you said, it's all good news that our body's working to fight it off. But once the fever comes down, they feel better. And I think the biggest thing is, is if they have trouble breathing, they're, ha- they're struggling to breathe. Um, that's another reason I'll tell parents, you know, that's the time to go and seek either urgent care or ER, because sometimes they'll be breathing fast and then it'll calm down. But if they're struggling to get breaths in, then that's another red flag. Yeah. So, you know, the top five reasons to go to the ER, you know, um, if your kid can't breathe, so not just that they're breathing fast, like you said, we breathe fast for lots of reasons. You know, we have a fever, we're running, you know, if I run up four flights of stairs, I might not breathe at all, but, um, I'll probably breathe really (laughs) fast. So, um, it's okay for them to be breathing fast, but if they're breathing fast and hard, um, where you see under their ribs when they're breathing or their, you know, babies will do this where their whole body is moving up and down to take a breath. That's never okay. And we want them to, um, Um, seek emergency care. Um, Or if, you know, lots of parents use the word lethargic when they're trying to describe their sick child Um, and a parent's version of lethargic and a doctor's version of lethargic are very different. And so um, I tell parents, you know, when you're sick and your baby's just laying on the couch and watching cartoons, um, that's not lethargic. That's, I don't feel good. And I'm just going to lay here. Um, when we say lethargic, we mean, is your baby not waking up? Is your baby or your kid not responding to you? Um, you know, you're having to carry them through the house every minute of the day. They're not getting up to drink anything. They're not doing anything. Um, that's when we say, Hey, that's a problem. You should, you know, probably come to the ER. Um, obviously broken arms and legs, um, that aren't right. When you look at them, that's a problem and you should go to the ER. Um, I just curious as a pediatrician, you're talking about broken arms and legs. Do you condone trampolines and monkey bars? Um, you can't see my backyard right now, but I have trampoline and monkey bars in them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't condone them. I do not like trampoline parks. That's where we see most of our really bad injuries from trampolines because there's too many children at a time. Um, so we have a rule, you know, one kid at a time on the trampoline or like 
Um, you know, if there's more than one kid, the other one has to be sitting down, um, and no doing flips on the trampoline. So, um, to try to minimize and then using nets and things like that to try to minimize risks, but we do have trampolines and monkey bars in our backyard. So, um, I can't, I can't say that they're all bad. They just, it's, we also have bikes and skateboards with helmets. Well, and I mean, again, it's okay to be a kid. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, I don't know, I don't even know that I have, you know, five, like top five, but, um, you know, cuts that you think need stitches or, um, bites from animals, dogs and cats oh, and things like one. that. Um, oftentimes they're going to need, um, a tetanus shot or, you know, a doctor has to figure out, do they need rabies, uh, prophylaxis because the animal was astray or something. So urgent care or ER is a great place for, um, for that to be figured out and make sure. And then bites, cats, dogs, people all have really dirty mouths. Um, and so the child oftentimes needs antibiotics. So we want to see them, um, and make sure that, you know, their wound is clean and they can be treated appropriately. So, and then I guess the other thing parents freak out about is head injuries. Um, you know, heads are important. <laughs> Our brains are important. So they, you know, and fair enough, parents freak out when their kids hit their heads. Um, and so what we tell parents to watch for is, you know, how far did they fall down? If it was a toddler that was, um, learning to walk and they trip and fall and bonk the front of their head, well, um, and they just get up and keep going, they're probably okay. Um, whereas if it's a, you know, older child or a toddler that falls off the swing set and hits their head on the ground. Um, and it takes them a minute to get up or they're not acting right. Then they need to go to the ER right away. Um, if they're vomiting after they hit their head, um, if you notice a big area of swelling, especially on the side or on the back of their head, the front of our head's actually really strong. We're made that way for a reason. Cause when we learn to walk, we fall a lot. Um, but the sides and the backs of our head aren't as strong. So if you notice a big area of swelling after they, you know, whack their head, um, then they need to be seen by somebody and it can be an urgent care or an ER if they're still acting okay and not throwing up. But, um, if they're throwing up or acting funny, then, they need to, they need to go to the ER and make sure that they're okay. Um, and make sure that there's nothing else that we need to worry about. Yeah. And so I'd like to, since we're talking about head injuries, just, I'd like to go through the different ages, but real quick for anyone who's listening, some of the most common head injuries that we see as pediatricians are high chair kids falling mm -hmm. off their high chair. So no matter what, don't trust your kiddo in a high chair, make sure they're always properly strapped in. And it's always when mom turns their head for one second. I just turn around to grab their snack or exactly. whatever and they fall out. So just be careful about that. Falling off beds, infants who fall off beds, that yep. happens all the time. People don't think their kids can roll and they do. And then we, we hear about that all the time. So if I could save one family from doing that, that'd be great. And then, you know, toddlers who climb on kitchen counters and fall off. I see right. that a lot too, or couches yeah. and fall off. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the toddlers or the famous, you know, coffee table <laughs> injuries yeah. and yeah. bumping those. I remember when I worked in the urgent cares, I would see so many of those, uh, the cuts and the scrapes and the, the yeah, big old goose right eggs. The corner of the coffee table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if you're under two months of age, whether it's a fever, whether it's an injury, I think that's the one time I tell parents like, 
under two months, just go to the ER. <laughs> Don't wait for those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a pediatricians have a saying, never trust a newborn. Um, and it's because they aren't trustworthy humans. So <laughs> they get sick really fast or, um, they're still developing and they're, they're not the same as an older kiddo. And so under two months of age, if they have a fever of 100.4 higher, if they, you know, you know, you trip and you fall and you drop them and they hit their head or, um, you know, they're not breathing right. Please, please, please just come to the ER. Um, and if you're really worried, just call 911. It's, you know, we are not going to, um, talk bad about you or make you feel bad for being here. Um, that's our job is to make sure that your child is okay and to, um, send you back home with a, um, equally healthy child. So, um, we don't mind one bit if you're bringing your baby. To you're extra yeah. Yeah. I have a question about, you know, we often see, uh, drownings a lot, um, mm-hmm. as being pediatricians in the hospital, we've seen severe cases. We've seen those kids that, you know, will swallow some water and then they'll recuperate, they'll be fine. And then parents panic about dry drowning, you know? And so I just wanted to get your opinion on how parents should navigate those kind of individual scenarios. Um, So drowning is a huge, I mean, it's one of the leading causes of death in kids under four. So um, it's a, it's a huge thing. And, you know, I have a trampoline and monkey bars, but I also have a pool in my backyard and um, it has a cover on it and it has a fence around it to prevent drownings. So um, that my children, both of which lock. So my kids can't get to the pool um, with, without an adult. And that's just how it's going to be. Um, but children drown in lots of places besides swimming pools. So, um, bathtubs and, um, would probably be the second, you know, most common place. Um, and so if your child goes underwater for a couple of seconds and comes up coughing and sputtering, um, and then they're perfectly okay, it's no different than, you know, say you took a really big drink of water and now you're coughing and sputtering. Um, but if they're, underwater for a second and they come up coughing and sputtering and they're okay. And then a few hours later, now they're breathing hard. Like we were talking about earlier where they're sucking in under their ribs or they're, you know, they're sucking in up here by their, um, collarbones or their head and their shoulders are helping them. Then they've, you know, probably actually inhaled more water than you thought they did. And they need to be seen right away. Um, the true drowning cases are obvious of when to go to the ER, um, because you've already called 911 and all the, you know, terrifying things are happening, but it's those that, you know, your kid went underwater for maybe a little longer than you were comfortable with. Um, but they seem all right. They're, they're okay. We just tell parents to watch for, um, you know, any signs of trouble breathing, fever, um, persistent, like they just keep throwing up, um, or they keep coughing even, and they're not having a whole lot of trouble breathing, but they just won't stop coughing. Um, then they need to, um, come to the ER and be evaluated. That's a big one. The won't stop coughing. I, I really, Mm -hmm. that's what I tell people to try to remember the most, um, because I feel most people would know and recognize if their kids are not breathing normally, that's a red flag for most parents. But a lot of the times they will be breathing normally, but they're just coughing all night and they weren't sick and they didn't have any reason to be coughing. That's a red flag. And I, I think, I don't know if you agree with me, but in general, any type of water activity, any type of 
a close call with, with swimming or bathtubs, I prefer that they go to the ER because what the worst thing that's going to happen, if you tell a story um, that we were swimming and they inhaled a lot of water and I don't know, and I'm nervous is that you're going to be observed for a few hours in the emergency room in a place that is a good place to be observed. And then when you're sent home, then you know, the danger period has passed and you can feel better about it, but it's better to me. That's a better safe than sorry type of situation especially because most often when secondary drowning happens, parents didn't know how long their kids were submerged. Right. Yeah. Most often it's not that you were right there and you saw them go under and then they came right up. And most often it's like, I saw them under, but I don't know how long they were there. And I just, I just prefer in that situation, you just go to the ER personally. Yeah. And same thing as you bring in your two month old, um, you know, we're just going to watch you for a few hours um, because I would rather watch you for a few hours in, you know, room four than you have to stress all night about, is my child okay? Um, and I can make sure that your child's okay. And I can make sure that um, they're going to be okay when I send them home. And, or, you know, occasionally they're, they end up not getting to go home right then. And they have to stay in the hospital for a day or two. Um and, you know, that's, that's okay. That's the whole reason we're there is to, um, you know, be that intermediary between home and the hospital. Um, I'm a doctor and when my kid's sick, I freak out. So I expect nothing less from regular parents. Like <laughs> your kid's sick, you're going to be worried. Um, and our job is to, you know, make sure your child's okay. And once again, send you back home with your, you know, previously healthy normal child, um, and, and let you be able to close your eyes at night and not be terrified. Are there some things, I think this is an amazing conversation and I'm sure whoever's listening is getting so much out of it. Are there some things that you feel that you see very frequently? We talked a little bit about fever, but other things that you wish parents would, would wait instead of coming to the emergency room. I know it's Um, hard to say, because there's always exceptions because for me, like an earache comes to mind. Yeah. And, you know, earaches, it's so weird. Um, they always come in, in the middle of the night because, and I think, I think part of it's, you know, mom's dead asleep and the kid wakes up screaming and crying that their ear hurts. Um, and everybody is now sleep deprived, but awake and you don't know what to do. Um, and so it's, you know, on the same lines of a fever, give them a dose of ibuprofen, give them a dose of Tylenol, um, put a little warm, washcloth. Um, it's just helps soothe it and give them 30 minutes and see if they're better. Um, if they're not, then by all means, go, go to the ER, um, ear infection. And that's why kids wake up screaming. They hurt. Um, but they can wait. It's not, um, it's not an emergency that needs, you know, life-saving or, um, severe care. They can see their doctor in the morning but I can see why parents get really upset in the middle of the night when their child just won't stop crying because their ear hurts so bad. Um, the other thing we see a lot that can wait till the next day, most of the time is like a cough or a runny nose, um, just general cold symptoms and same thing. Moms and dads end up sleep deprived because the kid won't stop coughing and the kid seems to sleep through it just fine, but you're not. Um, and, or the kid's not sleeping and now they're cranky. Um, and parents just want to know that their kid's okay. And they want to know that they 
don't need medicine. Um, and unfortunately there's not a whole lot of medicine anyways for coughing. Um, and so it's most of the time, if they just have a cough and a runny nose, they can see their doctor in a, you know, a day or two and they're going to be okay. Um, but obviously there's exceptions to that rule. There's always exceptions. Yeah. The other question that we get is when parents are trying to navigate urgent care versus ER. And, um, you know, it is a tough thing because you first have to see what's open, what's available, what's around you, all of those things. But are there specific things where you would say ER definitely? Um, I know some of the things we talked about, but um, any other things you can think of when they're trying to make that decision? Yeah, like... um... So most urgent cares can handle like simple, um, simple little cuts or scrapes or, um, even simple broken bones that when you look at their arm or their leg, it's not crooked. Um, but if their arm or legs crooked, you should just go straight to the ER because they're going to send you there anyways. They can't, um, they don't have the medicine to help. They don't have the ability to help. Um, fix that. And so now you're going to get charged two bills instead of one, and you're going to have wasted um, just a whole bunch of your time. And so just bypass the urgent care and go to the ER. Um, if your kid's having a lot of trouble breathing, um, same thing, the urgent care doesn't have um, the ability to really help a whole lot with that. Um, they can do a little bit, but they're going to call an ambulance or have you take your child to the ER because they don't have the, the means to to really fix um, severe things. So if you think your kid is really sick or that they um, you know, have a cut that's really bad. And then I always tell parents if their kid is young, um, so under the age of about four with cuts, broken bones, things like that, it's better to go to the ER. Um, and that's not because urgent cares aren't fabulous with little children. They are, especially the pediatric urgent cares. It's just that oftentimes kids with cuts that are under the age of four need um, extra medicine to help them tolerate us putting stitches, or they need extra medicine to help them tolerate us taking x-rays of their broken arm. Um, and it's just because they're young and they can't, um, they, they just need help. And so um, urgent cares don't have the ability to, to do that most of the time. And so once again, you show up and they're like, well, yeah, their arm's broken or yeah, they cut their eye or, you know, their head and they need stitches, but they won't lay still. And so then they send them to the ER so that we can, you know, then help them. Um, and so under the age of about four, the, it's probably better to just go to the ER. Um, yeah. For most I kind of explain it like, you know, if your doc, if you would have gone to your doctor for this, but it's after hours and you can't necessarily go to your doctor, but you need, you know, some reassurance that might be a good place to start. And right. then if they feel like you need higher level, you know, so like the bad ear pains and the, you know, the fever and, and things like that, oh, but oh, definitely. Those, yeah. Yeah. Those, um, the rashes, those kinds of yeah. things. Um, yeah, like it's five o'clock and your doctor's closed and it's Friday afternoon and I'm worried. Those are definitely the ones, you know, start at the urgent care. Um, and if you're in a place where there's a children's urgent care, I always try to encourage parents to go there instead of to the regular urgent care. Um, just because you're more likely to get children's tailored care. Um, people that are good with little kids, people that know more about um, pediatric problems. Um, and you're going to have a better, um, 
it'll be more like seeing your regular pediatrician than um, just seeing a um, somebody that you know just mostly takes care of grownups and grownups have different problems. So um, try to find a pediatric urgent care, and those aren't available everywhere. We get that, um, and we appreciate the ones that do take children that aren't aren't always seeing kids. We do, but um, if if you can see a pediatrician instead, um, you're going to get better, um, better care for your kiddo most of the time. Yeah. And I'm going to add something to that too. So a pediatrician or urgent care, pink eye is appropriate. Um, most of the time you don't need to go to the emergency room for pink eye, but an eye injury, i.e. someone threw a baseball at my eye or someone, my sibling did something to my eyeball. I would say that's an ER thing. 100% or like my kids crying and won't open their eyes. Uh Um, even if sometimes it's just bad pink eye, but if they're, if they won't open their eyes or they won't, um, you know, they're screaming that their eyes hurt, then they need to go to the ER because most, um, most ERs have an eye doctor that we can consult if we need to. Um, and we're, we also, as pediatric ER doctors, we've done some training in, um, eye injuries and things like that so that we can, um, appropriately treat them until the eye specialists can get there. And so, um, eyeballs are important genitals. So little boys that have genital pain, testicle pain, things like that, that is an ER complaint. That's not an, an urgent care complaint. Um, because once again, they don't have the specialist ability to get a hold of the people that need to be uh, talked to first. Yeah, even with head injuries, I think the ones that you're concerned about where they're not acting right or they've been vomiting or like the ones you're really, really, you know, they're not acting themselves, then that's usually the urgent cares don't have the head imaging available, you know, right. a lot of times. Some might, but some might not. So that. I think is another one in the ER um, uh, that's ER worthy as well. Yeah. yeah. I've got one too. So you said genitals. So I agree. If there's a boy with any kind of testicular pain, we need to have them go to the emergency room because we want to make sure that their testicles on the inside haven't torsed or twisted. And that's an ER visit. However, if it's a little girl or, or a boy who you're concerned might have a UTI, that can go to the urgent care. Right. It doesn't necessarily yeah. need to go to the ER. And then there's one other one. And this one I'm stretching a little bit. I actually wouldn't expect most parents to know this one. Um, so it wouldn't matter where you end up because at the end of the day, you'll end up in the right place. But if you have fever and a limp or fever and joint pain, that to me is an emergency room visit as well. Yes, 100%. Um, and like you said, we don't expect parents to know that. That's yeah. our job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if they, or um, the other thing that I tell parents that, you know, they need to see their doctor immediately or um, come to the emergency room immediately is children that were previously um, good walkers and now they're having trouble walking. Um, that is a, I need to be seen right away, um, complaint. And if their doctor can't see them, because a lot of times a pediatrician can start whatever needs to be done. Um, and there's re- lots of reasons children will walk funny. Um, but if, if they can't be seen by their doctor, they need to go to the ER because there's, um, a lot of things that can cause that. And there's a lot of things that we need to be on the lookout for as doctors. And so, um, yeah that's something that we see parents are like, Oh yeah, it's been going on for five days. And, um, you know, they, they, they don't know. And so that's one thing that I try to tell parents, like your, if your kid could previously do something and now they can't, that is a problem. Um, and you need to be seen. 
Yeah. And you probably see a lot of abdominal pains come through too. And of course it could be a million and one things, but you know, the ones that we urge parents to really focus in on is that appendix, you know, the appendicitis where it's severe pain going to the right lower side, vomiting fever. And sometimes it's very tricky because it could be a combination of some or, you know, all of those things. But if they're progressively getting worse and their pain is unbearable and, you know, the medicine is not uh, touching it and they can't walk or they can't move, those are all reasons to go straight to the ER too, because, you know, best case scenario, it was just bad gas, <laughs> but <laughs> we don't want right. to risk the appendicitis, right? Yeah. Um, and I always tell parents a good rule of thumb is ask your kid to jump. Um, if they're just yeah. constipated, they can jump. Yeah, their yeah. tummy hurts and bad gas hurts. Um, <laughs> like they're coming <laughs> screaming. Um, yeah. and that's that's fine. But if they can jump up and down, um, hop on one foot um, run, things like that, then the chances that we're worried about appendicitis are a lot lower. And so as a parent, when your kid has the dreaded, my belly hurts complaint, um, that's one thing that you can, you know, if they're running and acting normally and eating normally, then they probably don't have appendicitis and it's okay to just watch them for, um, a few hours and see kind of how they, how they do. Yeah. And this seems all overwhelming, but I think a lot of pediatricians will have an after hours line. So you kind of mentioned it earlier. If you're like debating or not sure, you know, if if your gut says go, then just go. But if you're trying to navigate some of these, usually you'll have a nurse line that will walk you through it and tell you, yes, go to the ER. So don't feel, you know, I want parents to not feel like they have to know all of these scenarios because that's what we're here for. Right. Yeah, that's, that's why we went to school for a very long time. So, um, but yeah, most pediatricians have an after hours line. And if they, um, if they don't, your insurance actually oftentimes has a number on the back of your insurance card of a, a nurse line that you can get a hold of. Um, and so you have another option. You can also sometimes call the local ER or the local urgent care and ask to speak to a nurse. Um, if you can't get a hold of somebody to get you know, a dose of Tylenol. Um, how much, how much medicine can I give my three-year-old? Um, and you know, they're going to ask you how much they weigh. So be prepared for that. But, um, they oftentimes people will give you that information over the phone so that, um, you can treat your child at home. I love it. So I feel that that was a wonderful synopsis. I think parents should listen to that whole podcast three times in a row, and then you're prepared <laughs> for everything. No, just kidding. But that was wonderful. So thank you so much for reviewing that. I feel if we go any further, we might start to overwhelm with a little bit too much information. But as far as you're concerned, any take-home messages? Um, I'm just going to throw one more thing out there. When you come to the ER, um, people are seen on a as-needed basis. We don't have like a first-come, first-served type thing. Um, and so sometimes... Um, you know, your child is waiting for a really long time and your child is sick and they need to be seen and we're not ignoring you. Um, it's just that sometimes some things are more urgent than others. And so, um, if your child is, you know, sitting in the waiting room with vomiting and another kid comes in with, um, something that needs more immediate attention, like a neck um, injury, like a head injury or a neck injury, or, 
an arm that looks like an S, they're going to get seen before your kid with vomiting. Um, and it's okay to ask the person at the front desk, like, Hey, my kid's still vomiting. Is there a way we can get some medicine while we wait? Um, or is there, you know, something else that we can do because we've been waiting for a long time and we try not to make people wait for a long time, but sometimes, sometimes we don't have, you know, we don't have any control over that. Um, and when your kid's the sickest one, you're going to want them seen first too. So, um, and it's frustrating as a, as a patient to have to sit there and see other people go before you. Um, and you're worried about your child. So, and it's okay. Also, if you're sitting in the waiting room and your kid seems to be getting worse, please, please go up to the front and tell them that my kid is getting worse. And I'm really worried um, because things change in time. And so um, it's okay to um, advocate for your child and to let them know that um, things are not improving or things are getting worse. And you're really, really worried. That's great. Wow. I have such a wealth of information. Yes. It's so amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank well, you thanks for coming. for coming on the podcast. It was great. I hope we can have a part two sometime. We can go maybe into more detail, a little bit more one topic type of thing. But I know you're a busy mom and you're a busy doctor and you've got a lot. So we really appreciate you carving out some time for us. It was fun. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication, exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any fact.